Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Um, today, we're going to talk about startup marketing and, and how to get something off the ground without outside funding as a techie, so as a, as a developer per se, but it's also very relevant for non-developers and marketers in particular who want to understand what's required to actually launch a product and what they can learn from, from developers. So it's really for both marketers, developers, and I think you're going to learn a lot because my guest today is a web developer, a prolific podcaster uh, who has a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. Himself and his co-host have recorded more than 400, at least, no, not at least, almost 400 weekly episodes so far, which is amazing. Um, he's a serial bootstrapper and entrepreneur for a decade now. His most recent uh, company is Drip, which is a lightweight email automation service. And finally, he's also the co-host of the startup conference, MicroConf. So you probably have guessed uh, who my guest is today. I'm really excited to welcome Rob Rowling on the show. Rob, welcome aboard. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So let's get started into the the tough question because listeners really enjoy that I start with, with the meaty stuff straight away instead of spending 20 minutes talking about stuff that don't really matter. So let's say that, that there's something and we want to do something together. I'm a marketer, but I know nothing about software. And you're an entrepreneur and a, and a web developer who, who have who has quite a lot of experience in building a successful product. So let's say that together we work on a new business. It has to be a new software business. We have around $1,000 in the bank. We want to be somewhat profitable within three months or six months, right? We don't have a lot of time to spend on that because we both have full-time jobs. So we have like 45 minutes a day, all right? And the last part is you cannot use your name, your network to launch this thing, right? So we're basically starting from scratch with not a lot of time and not a lot of money. And the golden question is, how would we get started? Well, I would look, so I have this, this concept called the stair-step approach to bootstrapping, and it's to build something small the first time and make it, typically it's, it's a one-time sale product. So it's not, you know, I would not go into SaaS as, as a first-time thing with all the constraints that you've named, I would look for some type of source of traffic that we could get in front of and that we feel like we could win and quickly rank in the top two or three. So right. um, I'm going to give you some examples. You could try to do, if, if one of us knew SEO, then I would look for an angle there. If one of us knew um, knows how to do the WordPress.org uh, repository SEO, I would probably build a small WordPress plugin, which you could totally do, you know, in PHP, um, for, for in 45 minutes a day, if one of us knows how to code, or you can look in the iOS app store. Oh, that's a little more crowded. Now you can look on YouTube. You can look in, uh, on Amazon. There's all these sources of traffic that, um, if you are able to, to basically rank well and you're, you know, you're not going to become a millionaire. You may not even have a full-time living, but, you can get something to a thousand, two thousand bucks a month very quickly if you find if you find that niche. I've seen this over and over and over um, in all those all the places that I just talked about. Is if you provide some value, um, you can get it out there 
you know, pretty quickly at low cost, 45 minutes a day. Right. So that that's an amazing uh, way of thinking about it. And I've heard that from your uh, podcast a few times. And let's dive in into this, this approach. Because um, I like it very much because it, it's it's rooted in, in in reality, right? It's rooted in the fact that you're not going to be a millionaire unless you're being extremely lucky, persistent and patient. Um, and if you haven't created a business before, if you have never launched a business before, or if all of your ideas in the past kind of never really went where you want to go, you need to start small. You need to really start with something that you can easily pull off with, without a lot of time and then move on from there, right? Yep, that's so, correct. So let's, uh, shall we pick, shall we first of all explain how you typically come up with such a, like this one-off type of product? Like how, do you, where do you typically look to find an angle on ideas that could be useful for people? Well, I mean, I would, I would actually start with, you know, one of these tools. It depends on where you want to go. So if, if you're going to do Google SEO, then you're going to want to go to either the AdWords keyword tool or you're going to go to, um, is it Ahrefs that's the big one now or Market Samurai? And these are going to try to show you places that you could potentially get some traffic. Um, there's uh, Jungle Scout, which is the one that basically is is the SEO tool for, for Amazon. Um, each of these has their own kind of niche tool. And that's where I would start because that's it's less about finding out. This is less about doing the traditional customer development approach where you um, are trying to, you know, if you're trying to build a SaaS, a multi-million dollar SaaS app, then you need customers to buy into it, and you need to build the features they need, and all that stuff. But if you're just going at the, at this angle, again, given the constraint, I wouldn't do this today because I'm past this point. But if I was, you know, if it was my first product, that is what a bunch of my first products did. Um, one of them was called .NET Invoice, and it was invoicing software written in, uh, in ASP.NET, and this is back in 2005, and. I learned how to do SEO from scratch. I didn't know how to do it. And once I ranked for a few key terms that people were searching for, and it was a very small niche, and I, and I started running AdWords, I got it up to about two, between two and five grand a month, depending on, and that was a huge win for me. You know, I had never made, really made a dollar online. And that was just one of a, in a series of, of sites that I rolled out. So you, you want to go to the, the right tool for the right, you know, for the right uh, place that you want to go. There are, I mean, Magento add-ons can make money, Shopify add-ons, Photoshop add-ons, like all of these things have these little marketplaces that if, if you either, you know, know someone who knows how to, how to game it or, and, and here's the thing, when I say you're going to game it in quotes, all you're doing is you're just optimizing for that engine and you're going to provide a valuable, um, you know, resource for people who are searching for that term. You want to build the best product and you want to rank high for it. If you're going to build a shit product or you're going to rip people off, then then don't bother doing this because you will lose in the end. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is that if you just use marketing to get to the top or to get in front of people, but but you let them down, then you don't have, you're not going to have longevity. Exactly. Uh, so one, one thing I, I pick up, I pick up from, from what you're saying is, um, you're using communities and marketplaces that are that are already established and uh, that people are already using, right? That's you're correct. not starting with nothing. You're basically trying to to plug in to to networks that are uh, existing, which is a very important idea because then you don't have to invest cr in crazy amount of of time, resources, and energy to try to get people somewhere where they've never been before. 
That's right. You're trying to draft off of their success. And certainly they win as well, right? All of these places that I've named will take, they'll take a cut of your purchase um, or they'll, they, they get some benefit out of it. So it's not like it's, you know, a lose for them. But, and these are, these are ideas that would, you'd start small with, right? You might charge 10 bucks, 20, 30 bucks for, you know, dollars for each of these, um, maybe up to, uh, up to 50 or 99, but they are one-time sales and it's, a, they'll have a single sales channel and they will top out the plateau and it'll be very hard to grow past that plateau. But that's not the point. At this point, you're just trying to gain confidence. You're trying to gain experience. You're trying to gain, um, you know, the, the knowledge of having done this once. And you're trying to gain enough revenue that you can then, now you're not limited to a thousand bucks, right? Because now you have a couple grand coming in every month. Now you can do this again and you repeat it and you get better and better at it. And I've seen people over and over and over do this with WordPress plugins and with, you know, these other types of add-ons and eventually just level up to where they can, you know, buy themselves out of a, out of a job and pay, pay their own way. So if you're listening to this episode in 10 years or even 20 years, I, I, I still want you to, to get value out of it. So what you're saying is crazy important, Rob, and regardless of in 10 years time in 2027, um, Google is, is, is dead and Amazon is dead and, and uh, Magento Marketplace is dead. We know for sure that there will be other communities, other places where people hang out where you can do the same. So it's not about Amazon, Google or anything, right? It, the principles remain. So that, that's one point I want to make uh, to make sure that the people understand that it's not about those quick wins that will work now and won't work uh, ever after. They will work if, if you focus on the, those principles. So. For the sake of the argument, there's actually, uh, for the sake of this story, this idea, there's actually a plugin I would like to have for WordPress, which is um, a way to quickly turn a Google Doc into a WordPress post, uh, something that will export all the images and all of that, right? So just to illustrate our points together into the step-by-step, -step, let's just pick this idea that says, we're going to build a very simple plugin that just turns Google Docs into a WordPress post. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Right, so we have the idea and we know now uh, where to go because it has to be a WordPress plugin, right? Right, yep. So if, let's, let's say that I'm a, a developer but I'm, I'm not really knowledgeable in, in this particular area in building such plugin or I'm a marketer and I might know a few friends who are able to build this kind of stuff. How would you go about it? Well, so what's funny is I'm just such a person where I have technical skills, but I haven't really, I haven't written code in several years. I personally, if I had less than a thousand bucks, I would Google how to, how to build a WordPress plugin in PHP and I would teach myself how to do it. I don't know that everyone needs to or wants to do that, but that's the kind of entrepreneur that I am. You know, I, I want to learn this stuff that's going to be core to, to the product. Um, so that's what I would do. The other option of course, is to post it on Upwork or to find a friend who's willing to help you. Um, if you have a thousand bucks, building a WordPress plugin like this is feasible for that amount of money. It's not going to be the highest quality thing you've ever built. Um, I think the problem is if you spend the full thousand, because what you actually need is you need a free plugin and then you need to build a paid add-on, right? That's, that's how you're going to make the money. And the paid add-on will include support and it'll have some better, more functionality, something a feature that's not offered with the free plugin. So that's, that's where you got to figure out if you can build both of these things for a thousand, or if you have to do some of the hacking yourself, this doesn't have to be the most gorgeous PHP code. And there's a bazillion tutorials on, on how to get something like this out there. 
And once it's built, then you're going to submit it to the wordpress.org repo. But before you do that, you're going to research how do I rank well in this repository? And you're going to have to go off. This is part of being an entrepreneur, right? It's going out there and figuring out, have other people, do they have info on this? Um, do I know any friends who have WordPress plugins that rank well? What did they do? Call them up. So you're working your network, you're working the Googles, and you're trying to get that thing to, uh, you know, to rank for this term. And I would put out a really simple one at first that didn't, to, you know, it, it does what you say it, it does, but it doesn't need to be super complicated or feature rich because at this point you're trying to find out is there enough traffic? Is there enough interest in this term? Because as far as I know, you know, while there are the tools, the SEO tools for um, Google and Amazon and these other things, um, the there's no like SEO tool for WordPress itself, right? So you you don't know how many searches there are for Google Doc, WordPress, or whatever. Um, although I guess you could look in in Google's to get a sense of it. That's probably what I would do, right? Yeah. Look in AdWords or Ahrefs. So yeah, that's where I'd start. Right. So let me maybe backtrack a little bit because I think I went ahead a little bit too too fast um, on, on those steps. So would you say that the very first step is actually not to come up with an idea like this and solving your, your pain point is more like searching for the amount of like a specific mm -hmm. keyword, a specific thing that people are looking for that might not be well served? Because you mentioned right. that quickly. You mentioned that you might find other, like you want to build the best product for this particular query almost, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. You're trying to get in the, in the way of the traffic, you know, you're trying to find the traffic and there are, I mean, an interesting way to do that actually with wordpress.org is if, um, a friend of mine has done this where he will search for stuff and look for old plugins that haven't been updated in a while, but have quite a few downloads. And that's probably an indication that there are enough searches for that term. And then, you know, you can offer to adopt the plugin and whether you take it for free or whether you pay the, the person, you know, 500 bucks and use the other 500 to get a paid add on built. Um, that's, that's up to you, but I have seen adoption and just taking it over from the previous maintainer. Um, a nice, it's a nice jump start, right? It's the same reason that I have acquired, uh, several companies or, and websites rather than building everything from scratch because it gets you past that initial, um, you know, the initial hurdle and in that six, six to 12 to 18 months of, of building things. Yeah. And once again, it's using the same principle than using the, the existing traffic from communities or the existing, uh, popularity of marketplaces it it basically enables you to to stop trying to build something from scratch and instead leverage what others have been doing before which is an That's interesting exactly thing right. but it, it's funny because you know when you think of entrepreneurship and launching startups and it's getting very sexy nowadays you know launching your own startup people trying to find this idea that has never been thought of before and they try to find those crazy new software that have never been done before to be very original but it seems like the best, probably one of the the the, the most the, the way you can really start something and be almost sure that this it will get traction if you work at it is to use an original an idea that has been done many times before that people are aware of, right? That's right. It's the boring ideas. Um... Not, it doesn't have to be boring, but a lot of the best, like, uh, you know, lifestyle businesses, what we're talking about, like businesses that actually throw off cash are pretty, pretty damn boring. Um, and you know, I referenced .NET invoice before. It's like, who, who really wants to build invoicing software in, in ASP.NET? It's not that exciting, but it was a huge jumping off point for me. Um, and, uh, you know, if you want to go build an exotic startup, 
and that new idea, you know, the novel idea, then yeah, you should probably raise some funding. It's going to be really hard. Um, your chance of success are very, very small. And that's great for some people. And it's all about the excitement. But for a lot of us, it's more about we want to build, we want a repeatable and an idea or, or a process that's highly likely to be successful and to actually work. And for that, um, you know, you got to start more thinking about where are people, what are they looking for, and how do I build something that, that serves that need that I can charge money for? You need all of those things in place in order for it to work. Right. So let's isolate the two things because, so the first thing is you want enough people to look for something, right? So without talking about Google particularly or, or Amazon Marketplace or whatever, it's basically you, you want to know if a certain amount of people are looking for the same thing in, in high volume. Right, or in a yep. not necessarily high right. high volume, but certain amount of volume. So, do you have any methodology there to to quickly know whether the search or, or the type of things people are looking for is worth pursuing? Well, I mean, I think the criteria I look at is a: do I think I can I can charge for this, or if this is a free thing I have to give away, is there something I can add to it that I can charge for? Right, because if you can't charge for it, you're not going to make enough money on advertising. You're not going to make enough money um, if you try to do a donate model. I mean, there's a bunch of models that work for these massive companies. You know, like a, a I don't know. I think of like Wikipedia or I think of Facebook. You know, it's like those models don't work at small scale because you just don't have the volume. So you'll make you know four dollars a month in ads if you get get some traction. It's like you don't want that. If you want to get a business into the four figures then the first question is, do I think I can build something that people will want to pay for? And then the second thing is, um, you know, I would look, there needs to be thousands of searches a month for something in order for me to, for me to even consider it, right? If there are several hundred searches, it's odds are good. You're just not going to get enough of that traffic to, to make any kind of dent. And I think, I think those are the big two things. Um, I think a third thing could be, depends on your personality, but are you interested in building this, so, you know, for me personally, I built and and acquired a lot of businesses early on that I wasn't particularly interested in. But my goal was to provide value to people in exchange for money, and then take that money so I could quit consulting and quit my salary job. So my goal, that was like the number one. And if that's your goal, then I would say you don't need to be interested in everything you're building, right? It doesn't have to be fun, sexy. But if you're more the personality type where you really just can't get into something unless you enjoy working on the product itself, then that could be a third criteria. Right. So let's say from a few tools you mentioned, and as we, as we say, you can Google all of those terms to, to, to have tools to understand how many people are looking for something online. Uh, those tools will change and evolve over time, but regardless, you will be able to find those, those numbers. So let's say we know that uh, more than a thousand of uh, thousand people every month are mm -hmm. looking for uh, WordPress plugin to convert Google Doc into into WordPress post, right? Let's say right. For WordPress, I would prop since it's a freemium model because you're going to give something away up front, and then only a small portion of those are ever going to pay you. I would actually up that number. And in my head, I mean, let's say if you get five thousand searches a month, so then you'll probably get I don't know a thousand downloads, maybe. Um, I'm kind of making up numbers, but this is how I would think about it, right? You're only going to mm -hmm. get a portion of those. And then of those thousand, how many are going to actually upgrade and pay you? You know, maybe it's 10 people, I'd say that's 1% conversion rate. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that's not unreasonable. So then, you know, what can I charge for this add-on that I'm going to build? Some add-ons are really cheap, 10 to $30. Other add-ons are 99 or 199 So I'd have to think through what am I actually going to build? Probably start small with something for 20 bucks. 10 sales, 20 bucks, 200 a month, back of the napkin math. Is that reasonable? Well, I don't know. What are my goals? You know, that that's that's where I'd start. I'd look at, I'd try to to hash out those numbers like that. Yeah, but that's that's really interesting way to think about it, right? And based on your experience, you, you kind of have a feeling now, like you have yeah. a feel for it, right? And yep. th- this isn't the type of thing that can be taught that much. You probably made a ton of mistakes in the past by picking the wrong product or, or, or picking a product that you thought would be successful and that wasn't, right? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually why I, if you can adopt something or buy something, I mean, I know a thousand, you know, you've said a thousand dollars isn't much to buy things with, but I purchased, um, a couple different eBooks. One was about bonsai trees. And then there was some plans on making like a duck hunting boat out of (laughs) materials from home Depot. I know it sounds, sounds crazy, but I, the duck boat one, I'm trying to think how much I paid for that. I think it was less than a thousand. And I just knew how to SEO it. And so it was making maybe, I'm trying to think, it was making maybe a hundred bucks a month. And I, I, it, I paid a thousand for it ish, maybe 1500. And then I got it up to about four or $500 a month based on just kind of improving the rankings. And, and that people loved it. Like I had all these testimonials. It wasn't, you know, again, it, I wasn't tricking anybody. It was this thing that people really wanted. People were sending me pictures of them building the boat. Um, it wasn't an interest I had, but I, the plans were legit. And so that's another avenue you could go down. A thousand is pretty limited these days, but you know, that's, that's something that I did in, in my early, uh, early days of kind of stair-stepping my way up. And I would say for a lot of people, $200, $300, $400 a month is already enough to, to start with and build your, your confidence, as you said, right? Yeah. It's so, pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's good that you're doing the math there and that using this napkin uh, kind of methodology because it can't, doesn't have to be scientific and it can't be scientific. So you will have, at the end of the day, you will have to try, take a stab at it and see how it works and, or else you won't. You're not going to learn. Um, That's right. So let's let's we keep we keep with this plugin WordPress plugin idea, and and we find out that just for the sake of the argument that there are there are around ten thousand searches a month on mm-hmm. the, the, this this keyword, right? So we know now there is volume to sustain the objective that we have, such maybe five hundred dollars a month, six hundred dollars a month, right? So we know sure. that it is possible. Now the other thing I think that you, you want to look at because you only know now that people are looking for that, but you don't really know the landscape. You don't really know whether our existing products are solving this pain very well. So would you focus on a landscape that has a lot of, of products, uh, but you all feel that are not good enough? How, what's your approach on this side of, of, of things? Well, so at this scale, so later on, if you're going to build a company, you know, with a, like a SaaS app, um, like how I built Drip, then you do want there to be some competition, right? Because it validates the market. But when you're going on this micro scale and it's your very first time and it's you're literally going for hundreds of dollars a month is the goal, I would go with the goal that I'm going to rank number one and that's going to be good enough. I know I'm going to build the best product and I'm going to rank number one. So I don't care if there are five other things that do similar things, as long as I think I can outrank them. 
that's the that's the challenge, right? And if if you th- if those are entrenched, like if I were to go and and look, and there was a WordPress plugin with, you know, twenty thirty thousand downloads, and it had a bunch of five star ratings. I would probably say, oh, I'm not going to outrank them, so I'm going to get a dramatically smaller no- amount of traffic. So this is probably not, you know, an idea that I want to pursue. Okay, so you, you want to look for leaders like th- those. Those I don't know in, in the WordPress world. I'm thinking of um, um, I'm going to forget the name Yoast SEO, right? Mm-hmm. This plugin is a clear leader in the SEO optimization, like the SEO uh, WordPress uh, plugin, right? right? I mean, it just gets, I don't know how many thousands of stars of reviews they're getting and all. And the product is really, really good. So you probably don't want to go there. But then it'd be really tough. So, but maybe, maybe you can dive in into a very specific niche that still gets uh, some searches uh, where you can really build something that you feel would be better than anything else you've tried. That's right. The further you niche down, obviously, the smaller the opportunity. But that doesn't matter at this point because you're not doing this to retire. You're doing it for the experience, a little bit of money, the confidence, the uh, the skills of like learning to co- how to copyright, you know, how to build your your little landing page better than anyone else is doing. Your landing page in, in WordPress.org. There's so many skills that you're going to take away from this that are going to apply to everything else down the line. And the whole point is to get something, to launch it, and to try to make your first dollar and in a in a sustainable and an interesting way. You've sold, I don't know, maybe millions uh, worth of dollars of, of products uh, in, in, in your experience building stuff and launching stuff. But um, do you think that the first dollar you've ever made was, was the, the best or do you still think that, you know, nowadays it's, it's still pretty good to sell stuff? It's still pretty good to sell stuff. I was very <laughs> excited. I was very excited with the first dollar. It was, it was a life-changing moment, but as the dollars got bigger, it did get more interesting to me, I will admit. And this is something interesting, right? Because a lot of entrepreneurs will talk about the passion, like you need passion to do certain things. But as you seem to mention, and I think I'm getting to that, is you are passionate about adding value to people's life and making money out of it. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. Therefore, you don't care if it's a bonsai tree ebook or uh an email automation software in a sense as long as you feel you're contributing to people's uh, life adding value and obviously you're making money out of it yeah that's true and especially early on i just didn't i didn't feel like i had the luxury to to be too picky because i wanted to get there fast right i didn't want to consult and work for other people for another 5 or 10 years i was trying to think how is the quick what's the quickest way that i can make a full time living from products in an ethical and you know like i said value driven way and to me it was to not be picky about about the ideas later on i was pickier because i had the luxury right i was i had was my own boss and i could do what i wanted and so then it was like all right now i'm going to work on stuff that i think is is really going to interest me. And so the the latter two, um, Hittail, which was an SEO keyword tool, it was a SaaS app, and then Drip and MicroConf, as you mentioned, like all that stuff is really interesting to me, those topics are. But I wouldn't have, I didn't start with them and I wouldn't, you know, give myself the luxury to do it in my first, my first couple years of, of entrepreneurship. Right. So let, let's go back to, to what we mentioned already because I think it's pretty valuable. So you first have the mindset to focus on places where people are already hanging out. And, you know, I love this idea because it's not, and we are not talking about online only. It's very possible that 
you know, you can open a small shop selling, I don't know, sandwiches in uh, a place in your city that has a lot of food traffic, like a lot of people hanging out there, right? And if you get the authorization from the city, you could make a profit quite fast, knowing that a lot of people hang out in this area. That's right. Exactly. So it's where it works for everything, but I love your approach because it's, I'm not saying you're guaranteed to make money or to succeed with it, but at least you're giving yourself much better chance because you're using existing places where people hang out. Then you look at the amount of time, the amount of people searching for something specific, such as WordPress plugin uh, to turn a, a Google Doc into, into a WordPress uh, post. Um, and then you try to understand using a kind of a very quick napkin calculation whether this volume will bring enough uh, money for you to reach your objective. Um, once you do that, you look at the competitive landscape a little bit and try to understand whether your product is niche enough, whether there is too much competition, or whether you can safely build something that is better than the rest. Or you can you can identify a product that is already there that you could potentially maintain that hasn't been maintained in a while. So there are many other areas there that enable you, even as a marketer who doesn't have technical skills, to use something that already exists and make it better. Sure, that's right. Right, so I think I've summarized the first part. Um, I was planning to ask you now, how do you get your first customers? But this approach that you mentioned is basically already answering this. You're using places where people hang out. Yeah, it's baked in. That's right. It's baked in, yeah. Um, Right, so let's say we launch this first plugin, we learn from customers, we learn about copywriting, we, we get feedback, we improve the stuff as we go, and then we've kind of reached the amount of uh, searches or the amount of, of customer we could get from it because you can't really scale that. Not a lot of people are looking for this particular term. So at the end of the day, if you get $500 a month out of it, that might be the maximum you can ever get. Right. So what do you do next then? Well, you have a couple things. One, you know, you're getting the $500 a month out of a paid add-on that you've built. And if you think there are other paid add-ons to that free plugin, then you launch more paid add-ons. So you can just expand based on that same customer base. If that is not an option, then I would go back to step one and I'd repeat all of all of the steps. And you're going to be you're going to, you know, have some money at your back. So you can be a little, you can move faster. You have some experience doing it. So you're not going to make the same mistakes. And you're going to then, you know, assuming you can do it, repeat this and get another WordPress plugin, two or three of them, you can bring income diversification in case any of them explodes for whatever reason. You never know if WordPress is going to accidentally ban your plugin and whatever, you know, you basically get diversification and the experience of doing it multiple times. Right. Um, That makes uh, total sense. And I really like the the first thing that you just mentioned about the diversification, uh, but also the aspect of um, thinking that you will have an audience then in front of you. You will have start to have paying customers. And if you do your research right, you will understand who they are, what they are looking for. And naturally, almost most of the time, what happens is that do you start to discover other problems that you might be able to solve for them? Yep. That's a really good way to think about it. I agree because you have so much more data now than you did six months ago when you started. 
That reminds me of uh, a previous guest, uh, Justin Jackson, that you definitely know, uh, who's a solopreneur and who, who teaches uh, solopreneurs and potential solopreneurs to, to launch a business and stuff. And this is exactly what he's done. He started with a, an ebook, he moved on to a course, he moved on to something else, and all from the same audience. So this is definitely doable. And this is probably one of the most um, fulfilling way to do business because you have your audience, you grow it slowly, you help them more and more with more and more solutions to their problems and you make a living out of it. Yep. I've seen this repeated over and over. It's something I stumbled onto myself starting in 2005. So was that 12 years ago? And it's something, like you said, Justin Jackson, um, Patrick McKenzie did this. I mean, that, the list is honestly <laughs> approaching endless in terms of people who have done it. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's helping entrepreneurs or whether it's helping a certain vertical of small businesses, um, there's just, there's a lot of opportunity to it. And it's, it's relatively repeatable, has a relatively high rate of success. You know, it's all the things that, that I like to see in a, in an approach. Right. So thank you for, for doing this exercise with me. I know it's not easy uh, to have that many constraints, but you're used to it. So I knew you could answer um, <laughs> that pretty, pretty easily. So let's let's talk about you for a while. Um, I don't know you personally. It's the first time we're talking together, but you seem to be a very patient person. You seem to really be able to say, uh, you know, I'm here for the, in the for the long run. I'm willing to make small investments now, work hard now, and then be patient about the, the potential opportunities I'm going to have. I mean, you're talking about the fact that you launched 12 years ago. You started that 12 years ago. How many products have you sold, do you think? Like how many type of different products have you sold in your lifetime so far, do you think? Um, I mean, I I launched several websites that didn't go anywhere in the, between 2000 and 2005 and just shut those down. So really, maybe I had one product before .NET Invoice. And then if I were to lose count dripping and tail and there's probably, th I mean, gosh, microconf, like, do we include a conference? You know, is that, a, is that a product? And mm -hmm. I wrote a, I've written a couple different books. So it's dozens, I would say. Yeah. It's a lot. It is a lot. 15, uh, 15 20. Yeah. In well, that range. Right. So the question is you, you are a patient person. I know you are, right. And in this world where, you know, you have, you have, it seems like things are accelerating, social media everywhere, information overload. People more and more, marketers in particular, seem to be absolutely overwhelmed with the amount of information they are getting day to day. They don't know where to start and, and they want to do these quick wins and these quick bucks and they want those growth hacks and all of that. Why do you think you, are, you have this mindset of being very patient and where do you think it's coming from? Well, I, so I'd say a couple things. I'm, I may appear patient, but I tend to be pretty impatient in terms of, I always want things to move faster, you know? Um, in, in like when launching drip, I was, we were six months in and I was thinking, why aren't we to product market fit yet? You know, why can't we get there faster? It was pretty, I had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, but with that in mind, I think what you're calling patience that you see in me, it's more of like this, it's a long-term mindset right? I know that we're all going to be, there's this community that has formed around bootstrapping and around, um, longevity and around like, we're going to be here in a decade. We're going to be here in two decades, still talking about this. And so I guess it's, to me, it's like you, you need to play long ball and you need to think, 
what relationships do you want to build today and what relationships um, you know, do, do you not want to sacrifice? Cause I do see people with a short term mindset, they burn their reputation too quickly, right? Cause they do some growth hack or they, you know, piss someone off or they build a copycat product thinking that this world is so big that no one will ever notice that it was me. And then their name gets associated with something that, that people don't like. So I think that's it. I think it's the long term. I've just always thought long term about everything. You know, I think five to 10 years down the line, like what, what do I want to be doing then? You know, do I still want to be running this company? Do I still want to be selling this thing? And uh, so maybe that gives me a little more patience than others. I've also, I mean, when I was starting out, there was no, there wasn't this fervor like you're talking about, the the pace of all this advice, you know, and the, and the tweets and the growth hacks and all that stuff. And so it was more scrappy. You have to do it yourself. You read a couple marketing books and then try to apply it to online marketing. So thus, as I was coming up, you know, there wasn't, I don't know, there wasn't the, the amount of, of information coming like there is today. And is there any particular event in your life that made you who you are today, that made you think long-term having this long-term mindset? Hmm. You know, when I was young, my parents worked with me. They would, we just set a lot of goals, mutual goals. And so I was always thinking, you know, and during track, cause I ran track for nine years, we'd always think, what do I want my time to be next month? And then by the end of the season, uh, when I was in school, what are my goals for the year? So I was very goal oriented. I'm also like, I'm pretty left brain thinker, you know, as a, as a software developer. And I always think if I start writing this code today and I'm going to build this app, what decisions am I going to make today that are going to negatively impact me in six months when I'm still maintaining this same code base, right? So it's realizing that the choices you make today and the things you put into the world, they're going to stick with you. And that was it. I just kind of grew up thinking that way. So I don't, I don't know if it's a natural thing or if it's kind of more, more my environment. Like I said, my parents, you know, teaching me to be more goal oriented or, or because I was a software developer, I started writing code when I was eight and I just picked, you know, there was an Apple IIe in our house and I um, picked up a book and started typing in the programs. And that, you know, I think probably uh, encouraged that as well. Tell me more about this. Uh, you and your parents were uh, setting goals together. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. tell me more about how did that happen? Was it only for the, the track uh, that you're running or was it also for life in general? It was... Well, I mean, life for me at that time was sports and school. And so I would have, I mean, we would talk about, Hey, do you think you, I mean, I started, I, I got straight A's for most of, you know, junior high. And when I started the first quarter of, of high school, I got straight A's and my dad said, Hey, you think you could get straight A's all through high school? And I thought, I don't know, but that'd be an interesting thing to shoot for. It was totally on a whim. And it, was, it wasn't that it came necessarily easy to me, but it suddenly become like, huh, I think I want to do that. And so, you know, that's what I did. And I think I actually got, if I recall, I got two Bs the last semester. <laughs> but oh, everything else was, was an A. It was, it was crazy, yeah. But you know what? By that time, I didn't actually, it didn't devastate me. Because I remember just thinking, you know, I worked as hard as I could and the, I had a lot of fun the last year and I, I don't know, it didn't, it, it wasn't, wasn't as bad as it sounds, but then playing sports, playing football and playing and running track, it was all about, you know, how do I justify getting up 
and, and, uh, getting up early and going to practice and weightlifting and all this really hard work when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, how do I justify that? And the way I justified it to myself was this is for an end goal. You know, the hard work will lead me to win, you know, the state championship or to, you know, have a successful season as a, as a wide receiver. So I think that's, that's kind of where it came from. You seem to be, to have been a very mature child student. Uh, I think a lot of parents listening to this podcast might think, I really wish I had a kid like this. <laughs> I, I think, but I think my parents groomed me to that. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they really, they shepherded that in me. They encouraged that. I mean, the fact that my, my parents were approaching me when I was so young talking about goals. I mean, I don't, how many parents are that involved in their kid with their kids? Unfortunately, probably not enough, you know? Yes. And there is a difference between being involved in your kid's life by telling them you need to work today. Come on, you haven't done your homework. <laughs> and right. actually thinking long term, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you're such a thinking as you have such a long term mindset uh, embedded in you is because your parents were setting goals for you, teaching you the importance of setting long term objectives and the daily work in order to reach them. Um, I mean, I'm not a teacher and I'm not a psychologist of any kind or anything like this, but it sounds to me like if you're teaching your kids or, or, or colleagues or, or teammates to think long-term and to work day-to-day -to, -day to, to achieve those goals, you might have better success than just thinking day-to-day. -day. Yeah, I would agree. We do that a lot here at, at DRIP, um, still thinking long-term. What's interesting is I don't know how much I do that with my own kids. So I, this is something I'm, I'm now thinking about based on how we've <laughs> talked about it. Like I didn't, I don't know that I realized the impact of that on me. All right. So there you go. Now you have a takeaway from this episode. How many kids do you have? I have three kids. Three kids. All right. Right. Let's, let's go back to marketing for a bit because uh, listeners might want to learn more from specific questions I tend to ask um, my guests. And I'm really uh, looking forward to your answers to those ones. But first, what do you think marketers can learn from developers? Hmm, I think... I think developers tend to, it's systems thinking, right? It's, it's thinking in terms of how can I be very, it's almost like analytical, it's left brain thinking. Some marketers are like that already, but a lot that I come across don't measure their conversions. They don't, um, you know, try to link the dollars they're spending on their ads to how many people are buying and, and an exact, like really scientific way. And I feel like developers tend to market in that way. Um, yeah, there's probably a few other things. I think and creative problem solving. I mean, some marketers are really good at that, but I do think that developers have a, there, you have to be somewhat creative to, to build software. I shouldn't say have to, I, I think you should be somewhat creative to build good software. And I think, so, you know, solving problems with code is something that can translate to, uh, to marketing. So let me switch the, the question around now. So what do you think developers can learn from marketers? Oh man. I mean, I think developers need to learn that the product is not everything and that the, the customers and the marketing itself at this day and age is actually, it can be more a lot with a lot more in the success of the product. And then I also think, you know, I think as a developer, when you're getting started, you, you like launching products, learning how to, it's like position, it's creativity in, in copywriting, I think is, is probably what it boils down to. It's learning how to, learning how to talk about the benefits rather than the features. 
as a developer, I always think features first and I have to actively, you know, ask myself, so what, you know, okay, so the app can do this, this, that, and this, so what? And then it gets me to the benefits. So I think marketers tend to think that way and developers tend to think in terms of features. Yeah, because developers are actually actually building the feature. So it's easier for That's them right. to, to describe it. Um, That's right. Well, marketers tend to think, most of them anyway, tend to think about customers and how they can they can talk to their customers uh, right. better. Um, yep. You've talked about, I mean, I mentioned growth hacks a little bit and, and you mentioned it as well. Um, and listeners will know that I'm not a big fan of the, the mindset or at least this, this mindset of growth uh, for... Uh, at any cost and like growing for the sake of growing and, and trying to hack your way into into stuff that won't work next week. Uh, so that's my own view. Uh, but in general, marketers have a bad reputation. There was this um, this survey done by HubSpot, if I remember well, that said that only 3% of people trusted marketers um, and lawyers uh, were trusted more than us, than marketers. So why do you think yourself, from your experience, why do you think marketers have such a bad reputation in general? Yeah, I think I, it's it's tough to say. I mean, I, I guess it depends on what circles you run in. Like if you talk to a bunch of developers, then they will say marketers have a bad reputation. If you talk to, you know, a group of salespeople, they probably wouldn't think that. And obviously if you talk to marketers, they would tend to, <laughs> tend to not think that. I think this recent push into growth at all costs with the growth hacks and um, people pushing the boundaries of maybe ethics uh, in order to grow. I think that has, you know, to your point, has has given folks a bad name. Um, I think people look at Uber or people, you know, hear the story of the early Airbnb growth hack with Craigslist that was against the terms of service. And that just feels like perhaps overstepping some bounds that, um, that we should hold, we should hold ourselves to a higher, maybe a higher standard than that. So I think there's examples though of, you know, marketing that is really, that is really well done and does not feel sleazy or anything. And I mean, if you look at Apple's marketing, I've always kind of respected how they market. You know, I think if you look at a, there's a, there's an online clothing store called Shinesty. It's S H I N E S T Y. And it's just super funny, you know, and think geek, same thing. Like there, there's a marketer there, but it doesn't feel like they're marketing to you. So in, in that respect, I would say, I think some, some marketers are doing a good job with it. And I think others are maybe pushing the boundary too far. This is a point that uh, Ron Fishkin made uh, in, on this podcast. He said that, Good marketing goes unnoticed. When when you do good marketing, when a company does good marketing, what happens is that you say, oh, it's a nice brand or it's a nice product, but never will you praise the marketer behind the campaign because it just feels like they understand you and therefore it doesn't feel like marketing. While bad marketing is the one you notice quite a lot. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. I, I love this this definition. I think you, you made the same point, which, which is great to hear. Um, what do you think marketers startup founders or even tech people in general, um, what do you think they should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or even 50 years? Well, I mean, so you're asking for timeless, you know, essentially timeless ideas. I think the, the one thing I've learned, well, I've learned a few things, but one thing that I think I will always uh, try to impart to people is to have an opinion and to st like stand for something and to be real, right? So it's like, I think about, 
um, launching Drip into, which is email marketing, it's marketing automation software now, but when we launched, it was email marketing software. And I had this opinion that there were other products out there that were kind of ripping off their customers. They were charging them a lot more money than they should have. And they were, they had this upfront fee, this $2,000 upfront fee just to get started with a SaaS app, you know, like that, that felt kind of crappy to me. And, and my customers were telling me the same thing. Like if, if you can build a marketing automation software that is more fair or just more a better value and easier to use. And so, so we stood for something. And if you recall, I don't know if you saw the drip homepage before we got acquired, we got acquired about 18 months ago, but before that, the headline on it said lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck. And our whole thing was that we were the anti big corporate marketing automation enterprise software, right? And, and we called a few out by name on the homepage, you know, and we said, look, are you tired of, of these clunky tools, the ones that charge you the money, you know, the Infusionsofts and the Marketos and the Pardots and the HubSpots and, and actually we didn't call HubSpot out, but anyways, <laughs> I'm just re replaying it back. Um, those, we stood for something, but it was also authentic. I didn't do it. I, I did it because I genuinely believed that. And I never had to drum up. It wasn't false, you know, con controversy and it wasn't anything other than I have never want personally have never wanted to have a, a line of copy or a headline on my website that I wouldn't say to someone face to face in, in a cocktail party, you know, or at a conference. So if you're, I think if you're putting stuff online that you don't, you wouldn't feel comfortable saying to someone face to face, then you may be overstepping your own personal kind of ethical limits. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. I, I was nodding on my own, like an idiot for the last 30 seconds. Um, cool. But this podcast is easily the same, and, and I do uh, believe 100% in, in, in what I'm fighting against. Um, and this is why I feel that I'm having so much fun doing it, even uh, even during my spare time, because I, I genuinely believe in it. And this is an advice I tend to tell uh, people is you need to find your enemy. You need to really define your enemy, because when things are bad, when things are tough, when you want to give up, Fighting against this enemy it doesn't have to be a person or a company, or it can be a thing or a vision or a mindset. Fighting against it is, is the only thing that will keep you going. And yeah, so I very much agree with your, with your vision. And it's a fantastic tip for people to keep in mind for the next 10 years, 20 years, or even 50 years. So you mentioned a lot of interesting resources, uh, throughout this podcast. You mentioned, uh, Drip, which is, uh, the, the, the marketing automation software that, that you that you started. Uh, you mentioned MicroConf, which is the, the, the conference for solopreneurs. Uh, it is a fantastic conference that I must go to soon. You also mentioned, what else did you do that I'm going to forget right now? Yes, Startup for the Rest of Us, which is your amazing podcast uh, that has been running for eight years now? No. Some seven, maybe? Yeah. Oh my god! Give or take. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to remember. It's insane. Yeah, it's insane. Weekly episodes. You managed to keep it up for like seven years, uh, and it's not gonna it's not gonna end anytime, right? I hope not. Yeah, that's that <laughs> thing of long term. I mean, we just we show up every week. The fact that there's two of us makes it easier, right? We can just there's a time booked, and we don't we don't sacrifice that. It's a big learning for people. So beside all of those amazing resources that you actively contributed to, what are the top three resources you would recommend listeners today? I would recommend that you check out Copy Hackers. 
com. It's Joanna Weeb, and she has spoken at several microconfs and is very, very knowledgeable, very good at copywriting and positioning and marketing, and also very someone who I admire in terms of, you know, maintaining a high bar of of kind of you know, a low, a low level of sleaziness, <laughs> no sleaziness, like a high bar of really ethical, uh, marketing. Uh, another resource that I, I like there, although there are some things that come on there that are a little over the top for me, but is that uh, it's actually, you mentioned Rand Fishkin earlier. I think he helped launch this. It's inbound.org. Um, and it's just a, it's kind of an aggregator, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, like a Reddit, but it focuses on marketing. And then the third one is an interesting one. This will be controversial, but it's a book called The Ultimate Sales Letter, mm-hmm. and it's by Dan. But it's by Dan Kennedy. But here's the thing: when I read it, I thought to myself, "This is too far." Like he goes too far in terms of valuing money over, you know, personal boundaries or whatever. And he talks about headlines where that I was like, "I would never write those." But it's good to, it's good to look, he's still a very smart guy. And I think I learned a ton from him on, that's where I started drawing my own limits, you know, of like, oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't choose to do that. I don't like how he markets, but I still took lessons away from him. You know, 80% of what he says, I think is, is really smart. So those are my three. I appreciate your honesty on this. I haven't read it yet. And I know a few people mentioned it to me and I want to read it, but yes, sometimes those copywriting books or those ultimate sales machine type of books could feel a bit uncomfortable. But as you said, you can always take away a few things from them. You don't have to, to, to do all of the stuff they tell you to do, because at the end of the day, if you have your enemy, if you have your values, if you really know who you stand for and who you are, you're not going to go there. Um, you're going to be yourself and learn from them and teach the rest. So Rob, once again, you've been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to. I've learned a lot from you today. Um, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners and perhaps a way for, for them to contact you? Sure. Folks can reach me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Rob Walling. Awesome. Well, Rob, once again, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. we I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir.
And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.